Hello and welcome to the podcast, Natalie Nahai in Conversation, the series that inquires into our relationship with one another, with technology and the living world. Join me and some wonderful guests as we explore how we might envision and create a more flourishing future for all in the face of accelerating technological advancement, ecological disruption and systemic change. If you'd like the opportunity to meet me in person and explore these themes in greater depth, I'd love to invite you to the Flourishing Futures Salon. This is an exciting series of intimate, curated gastronomical gatherings that combine locally sourced food and elegant wines with meaningful, thought-provoking conversation. These are enchanting, poignant and memorable evenings designed to bring together diverse perspectives with the aim of cultivating community and vibrant new partnerships. If you'd like to attend the next gathering in London, please sign up at ffsalons.com to register your interest. When we have the next date scheduled, you'll receive a private invitation and a special listener's discount. I'm excited to meet you if you choose to come. And in the meantime, thank you for listening. I hope you enjoy the show. Today, I speak with Patricia Mogel Viveros, an ecologist and environmental educator and the co founder of the NGO Ethnoecologia AC. An expert on issues of sustainable community development, agroecology, resilience, and environmental education, Patricia received her Master of Science in Environmental and Sustainable Development Studies from the National Autonomous University of Mexico, a PhD in agroecology from the University of Andalucía in Spain and she is associated with the Sustainable Development and Environment of the College of Mexico. During her career as an ecologist, she has focused on projects related to the conservation of indigenous agroforests, community resilience, environmental education, and artistic human development. Her vast experience led her to creating and founding the Art Ecology and Culture Centre, also known as ECOFE, to help train and educate aspiring environmental leaders and also NIDO, a cultural and artist centre in Morelia, whose name refers to the bird shelters that house the artistic and cultural community's projects. As of late, Patricia has focused on reconstruction and resilience through the means of dance, music and movement, as seen with her effective, resilient eco-pedagogy ideology, and her methodology of combining the arts and environmentalism has been applied to workshops at institutions in Mexico and Japan. Published in national and international journals and books, Patricia has been an advisor to multiple organisations in the rural and urban sectors in Mexico, as well as in other countries such as Colombia, Brazil, Ecuador and Japan, on the issues of sustainable development, conservation of biodiversity and biocultural richness in indigenous agroforests and environmental education. Patricia, I am so pleased to be talking with you today. How are you? Uh, very well, thank you. Thank you so much for your invitation. Yeah, I am very, very glad to be here. <laughs> well, I'm especially <laughs> glad that you're doing the heavy lifting of speaking in your second language instead of me attempting this in Spanish. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so that this is my second language, but I will try it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, sounds great. Let's start where I always like to open the conversation, which is to ask you, what do you imagine is going on in the global human psyche right now? Yes. Well, 
I think there are millions of persons, adults and young people, who knows very well uh, that in the following decades, we will face the greatest consequence of a civilizational crisis. A crisis will be the result of a multiple ecological climate and energy risks. These people, like me, are transforming our fears, anxieties, helplessness, and despair into actions mm -hmm. and movements that lead to the defense of human rights, as well nature and women's rights. But of course, there are other groups of persons who are responding with the indifference that according to psychologists and psychiatrists, the indifference is synonymous of escape. Mm. This behavior occurs much more among young people who cannot transform their anger and frustration into constructive actions. Mm -hmm. So their answer is self-destruction and more violence with the consequent drug consumption and often even suicide. Mm. For this reason, it's so important giving them a space for opinion and involve young people in decision-making and actions. Yeah, that's a very comprehensive and poignant answer and thinking about the ways in which we can react to this sense of helplessness, whether we have the resources to be able to actively move towards finding alternatives, towards proactive problem solving, perhaps, or communicating with others versus that helplessness, that closing down and all the problems that that can cause, especially in younger people. Mm -hmm. And so thinking about that, because that's, it's kind of these diverging paths towards dealing with the issues or, or finding it overwhelming. And so thinking about what it means to flourish to have a, a path towards a flourishing future for all of us, mm -hmm. especially when we're facing, as you say, like this ecological disruption and we've got technology which is advancing at an extraordinary pace mm -hmm. and systemic change is happening beneath our feet. What does flourishing mean to you? Mm -hmm. Well, for me, to flourish is to beautify every place, every moment, every action we take. Mm. Uh, to flourish, flourish is to build trust in each other because it's crucial to believe that we can stop the collapse that is projected. The youth and children generation needs to believe in their future with optimism, mm -hmm. with hope. And flourishing is nurturing uh, relationships of mutual and solidarity support in any crisis, no matter how tragic it may be. Mm -hmm. To flourish is to live with a lot of hope and to believe that we are capable of transforming ourselves and transforming a desert into oasis and the life always triumph over death. Mm. I believe on that. That's very powerful, life triumphing over <laughs> death. And also that the kind of thinking about the, the, um, the deserts and an oasis, the sense of there being a possibility to regain life individually, but also connected with the land and the places of mm -hmm. which we are a part. 
which is something we'll talk about a bit later, you know, our, our placemaking and community. Yes. But thinking about how painful and chaotic this moment is for so many people, and increasingly with the wars that we're seeing as well, I'm curious, from your perspective, where you are, and you're in Mexico City right now, is that right? Yeah. yeah. Well, I live in Morelia, Michoacán, four hours from Mexico City. Yeah, so to locate you geographically. Yes. <laughs> From your perspective right now, what's laying heavy on your heart thinking about this moment? Yes, well, um, when I look at the eyes of the children and I hear the voices of young people who insistently ask us who are responsible for this, this environmental disaster and the chaotic moment we are experiencing in many uh, places of the world, uh, what I feel in my heart as well as in my body mm. is a strong impulse to scream and give them names with surnames mm. who are mainly responsible for this chaos mm -hmm. because there are names. Yeah. And there are specifically people that are uh, making this disaster. I compare it this um, feeling like I, I, I have in my in my body and my heart, like an electric shock. Is mm. uh, and I compare this as it's like a sensation because when I work with young people, they they force me uh, to fight some more to continue, and of course to fight for preserve. Uh, life. So this is my, you know, this is my strength. It's funny, isn't it? Because I think in, in a lot of um, the conversations that I hear in various places on the web and in various groups, one of the strategies to give us hope for the future, to avoid collapse, is to include everyone in the in the conversation and not to lay blame. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, which I understand and I appreciate that, and at the same time, you know, you're right, there are people with extraordinary power and wealth and mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. capacity to make change if they so wished, mm -hmm. who are not stopping the destruction from happening, who are just carrying on. And I think that has, that has to be named within the conversation. It can't just be free pass. Exactly. So it's, it's a delicate operation, <laughs> balancing the need to have a conversation where people are brought in mm -hmm. and also naming where the greatest harm is being done mm -hmm. and by which organizations or by whom. Mm -hmm. I'm curious what gives you cause for optimism and hope in your work? Because you said you work with a lot of young people and that gives you yes. strength and motivation. Yes. Yeah. Yes. They they inspire me a lot, but also other other events, of course. And so you asked me what give me this optimism or hopes that, in fact, I am talking to. <laughs> well, to know that there are millions of people, groups, organizations, experience all over the world that are working on many issues to mitigate and stop the ecological energy and climate crisis. Mm -hmm. uh, in fact, I have uh, been, well, for all uh, since... Um, 40 years ago, I, I have been traveling in not just in Mexico country, also in many countries. And I look this, so I confirm this, <laughs> what I am saying out. 
also to get involved with some of this experience. It's not just it's not just to know. It's also get involved <laughs> in some of these experiences, at, at least one, for example, because a group protects you, nourish your soul, soul <laughs> and gives you hope that if it's possible to transform the world through the way we want. I believe that. And I can speak from my experience for 40 years now, and I can confirm that in the last 10 years, there has been an exponential growth of groups working on issues of resta in restoration and conservation of biodiversity, but also um, the defense of cultural richness. And of course, in this, uh, on a strengthening local economies of millions of millions of families. I know that we have made progress on this type of experience. As well, we have gone backwards in other issues. When I have a negative perspective, because of course I accept that sometimes, you know, I... Became, I become depressed or something with more anxieties, of course, mm -hmm. I uh, intensify. I will talk about later, but I intensify yeah. my resilience capacities work. <laughs> yeah, resilience is such a strong theme. Exactly. Thinking about being part of a group and how we can really support one another and nourish one another on all of these different levels. Mm -hmm. One of the topics that you're known for that you've worked in is peace building through indigenous agroforestry practices, which sounds absolutely fascinating and quite captivating. And I'm really curious to hear more about this, about this path. What led you to explore the topic and how can we start to build peace through the practice of agroforestry? Mm -hmm. Yes, well, what led uh, me to explore the indigenous agroforest? I would like to start uh, that uh, to say that when I started uh, studying biology, my bachelor, my interest focus on learning about indigenous regions and their strategies to management their territories, natural resources, and of course agroecosystems. Uh, since then, well, many, many years, de decades, 40 years, yes, I was really concerned about two issues, the accelerated destruction of nature and extreme poverty in indigenous regions. Yes. For this reason, I started my research in an indigenous region in Mexico, in Veracruz, mm. east of uh, Mexico. Yes, and then in Puebla, uh, with two ethnic groups, Totonacs, Totonacas, and Nahuatl. I found into those territories extraordinary agro agroforestry management. Mm -hmm. And I found that into these agroecosystems, there is a very close relationship between conservation of biological and genetic diversity, diversity oh. and the ancestral knowledge that indigenous groups applied to their ecosystem. I extended my research 
of course, during many, many years uh, in other regions in Mexico, but also in other countries in Latin America, mainly in Latin America. Mm. And after 30 years of my this re specific research and working in agroforests, uh, well, I call indigenous agroforests, I confirm that I that if we want to preserve nature, we need to preserve cultures. These go together. Yeah. Yes. And you ask about how we can build peace through the practice of agroforestry. Yeah. Well, I would like to, to quote a phrase. Uh, I, I love Noam Chomsky. I love him. Yes. Um, he's a genius. Mm. And he said, to get out of the civilization crisis that modern society has brought us, we will have to listen and learn from indigenous regions. And yes, in many indigenous regions, we can find strategies to face not only the scarcity of resources that we will be facing very soon, but also strategies that are so necessary for our survival, which are th th these, uh, these um, strategies, solidarity, yeah. cooperation, humility, and of course, simplicity. In a world that try to impose individualism, competition, arrogance, and even paralysis, in our capacities to take decisions and actions. <laughs> this doesn't mean that indigenous regions are a paradise. In those regions, we know that there are many socio-environmental and cultural problems, such as some traditions that have to be confronted and resolved by them, or the migration, for example, from rural to urban areas, mainly from young people. But it is a fact that the hundreds of cultures that exist all over the world can teach us, us more than the arrogant modern society can do it. Mm -hmm. And to build peace, we require, of course, organization and democracy, but above all, tolerance, solidarity, and empathy. Mm -hmm. It is also important to mention that in these regions there are other agroecosystems, not just agroforests, uh, indigenous agroforests. Also, there are other agroecosystems such as milpas. Milpas is corn with other species comestibles, polycultures, small intensive livestock farming, among others. That, like Indigenous agroforests can be an important source of economic resources for millions of poor families and at the same time conserve the biological and genetic diversity and richness that we will necessary for the survival of our species. Wow, I mean, it's such a rich area and yes. it's really quite touching hearing you talk about those specific qualities that we need to engender and support within our communities and with one another, cooperation, solidarity, humility. And it's, it's as you're reading it out, 
or like naming these things, it's so clear to me that the rampant individualism, atomization, mm -hmm. sense of separateness between people mm -hmm. and between ourselves and nature, it's at the very opposite end of the spectrum mm -hmm. to the kind of approach you're talking about, the approach that we need to take for feeling like we are in relationship with the wider web of life. You know, there's this idea that we're separate from nature. It's, it's, such, it's such a false idea and we operate in the West as if it's true mm -hmm. and it's not. Mm -hmm. So let's talk a little bit about the ecological side of things, which is hugely important. Um, and as an ecologist with your, with your years of research and experience, you focused on such a variety of projects from the conservation, as you've just talked about, of indigenous agroforestry and community resilience to environmental education and also artistic human development, which I'm particularly interested in. Mm -hmm. What influenced you down this path? Because you're weaving together mm -hmm. threads that some folks might not always put together. So how, what led you down this particular path? Well, there were various events <laughs> in my professional and daily life, not just professional, yes. As an ecologist and a researcher in indigenous regions, I understood, for example, that uh, more than theories, of course we need it, but more than theories that I had learned, uh, well, these theories, of course, I learned from university. Yeah. We needed learning with a true coexistence with other cultures in other regions, as well as involvement, in, in this case, my involvement with, within social and environmental movements. Mm -hmm. Furthermore, as a woman, I experienced the injustice that many women suffer from being part of a misogynist patriarchal society. Mm -hmm. At this point, it was very useful to have contact, in my case, with ecofeminists mm. from other countries, as well as working with many women who belong to rural and urban areas who had suffered uh, from domestic mm. and sexual violence. Yeah. Uh, the other event was marked in, by my students mm. when I realized that environmental education had a very reductionist approach through the exclusive use of, of our rational intelligence. Yeah. As an educator, I ask myself why theory not necessarily lead to awareness and then to take actions. And this takes me to other fields. Mm -hmm like, uh, for example, philosophy, social psychology, and also a neurologist. Well, of course, I'm not a neuro <laughs> neurologist, but I love to read yeah. about these fields in order to understand more about the complexity of or our brain and therefore our irrational behaviors of, well, there are many people with these irrational behaviors. So I think that if we want to develop us as a human beings, we require the use of all our intelligence 
not just rational intelligence, but also emotional, physical, intuitive, musical, hmm. and even nature intelligence. And what means this? Yeah. <laughs> uh, our wisdom, all people has this, but we forget when we live in urban areas all the time or we don't be in touch with the nature, but we have uh, a wisdom to survive in a nature as an species. And this, um, well, this wisdom we acquire through an evolutionary process over billions of years. Yeah. So we need to know now. And the art for me was a very, very important tool. I, I would love to hear more about the art. <laughs> yes. You've woven this into the work that you do. And you're the founder at the Art Ecology and Culture Centre, the ECOFE. Mm -hmm. So I have a suspicion we'll learn a bit more about the arts here, but <laughs> can you tell us about what the centre is and why you created it? Uh, you're clearly passionate about the possibility for transformation through art and music. Yes, yes. Uh, well, 12 years ago, uh, we found it. When I say we found it, is with my family, especially my husband. Um, well, I have two sons. <laughs> uh, they are very old. <laughs> Not me, they. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. We've stayed the same age. They grew up. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and we we founded Ecofe or uh, in the Center of Arts and Ecology and Culture, mm -hmm. which synthesized the three fields that uh, we uh, had been uh, well. Uh, also, with my husband uh, uh, and I, we has been working for many many years as mm -hmm. uh, ecology of course, uh, culture, yeah. with cultures, and then, especially in my case, with art. <laughs> in this center, which is located within an area with a forest, mm. we offer, of course, now uh, uh, workshops in meditation, resilience, and in my case, eco-dance. I will talk, of course, about eco-dance. That sounds amazing. Eco-dance is a, yes, is a, well, I create the eco-dance. Huh. It's, it's a link between ecology with uh, dance mm. and music, mm. uh, which is the line that I personally, personally, I have been develop developing for 20 years. Oh. But I will also like to mention, I would like to mention that uh, in this year, we uh, were able to open another art and cultural center Amazing. with a public, uh, um, with a private financial support. <laughs> and the name of this center is Nido. Nido, as in a nest. Yes, it's a nest. <laughs> and the designs and the creation uh, were, uh, was mainly made by my second wow. son, uh, Emilio. Anido, whose name refers to these shelters that birds uh, build to place their babies. Uh, so Nido uh, is the shelter that will house the community from uh, Morelia, in this case, mainly Morelia, Michoacán, the city where we live, but also other of course, other regions of Mexico, but open 
to other countries. Wow. Anytime, please, <laughs> if you want to come here, you will know. And I would like to invite you, of that. course, and to give to you that, that you give some workshops yes. or a speech or something <laughs> you wanted there. What an offer. So neither, yeah, so neither focuses its activities in art, culture, and education, like ECOFE, of course, mm -hmm. uh, because we believe that they are three key process in the integral development uh, of every human kin. These three keys, education, art, and culture. Wow. And it's fascinating, isn't it, that in, at least, well, so I was raised in the UK, that art, any of the arts, all of the arts, are the first thing mm -hmm. that get cut from education, that people you know that we so we so much need that in part of our cultures yes. especially in cultures where there is a lot less ceremony music gathering art gathering ritual gathering it's um mm -hmm. we have so few places where that happens anymore we've got you know if i think of any ceremonies that i was raised in it would be things like birthdays christmas very few mm -hmm. and yet we know from the research as you've pointed towards that it's these moments of gathering being creative together exploring the interbeing like the the relationship that we have with one another in our wider place that's so crucial to create that sense of culture and belonging Mm-hmm. So thinking about artistic human development, what is the role or roles of creativity and the imagination mm -hmm. in helping us to create a more flourishing future? Mm -hmm. Well, uh, as you say, art, um, like culture, of course, provides social cohesion as well as approaching life and therefore encouragement, hope, and joy. Art is an extraordinary tool, tool to work on our healthy abilities by developing our multiple intelligence. Mm. As I said before, we need to use not just rational intelligence, also body intelligence, uh, music intelligence, nature intelligence, all these intelligence that we have that allow us to develop capacities. And what capacities I am talking to? Empathy, mainly. Well, there are many, but I, I talk about empathy, generosity, joy, trust, and of course, love. Mm. Creativity and imagination, of course, are capacities that all human beings have. <laughs> and these Two capacities will express even in the worst scenarios we face. Mm -hmm. uh, there are a lot of studies uh, from the psychologists and psychiatrists uh, that uh, has been studying this specifically field that I am having mentioned. So uh, mainly when we have when and, and well, it's very important, of course, to find support networks in our environment. Yes, this is crucial. Uh, it is a fact that in the face of the growing threats we face, we require all our imagination and creativity, of course, to build the multiple strategies that we will need them in order to, ex to stop, yes, and to build other yeah. uh, routes that uh, we avoid the future collapse that uh, is projected by scientific scientists and 
Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It's interesting thinking about creativity and imagination. One of the things that I think is is a theme that comes up quite a lot is when we're in a state of anxiety or stress or fear. Mm-hmm. And it could be something as, for me, for instance, something as simple as a bit of conflict with someone that I hadn't anticipated. You know, my life is not at risk. I'm in a relatively safe country. And yet it's so easy to tip into a state of stress where suddenly everything constricts mm-hmm. and I can feel my body constrict, my breathing constrict. Mm-hmm. And then my imagination, my creativity also constricts. So I'm kind of curious, are there approaches, especially when we're thinking about future collapse and really serious issues, are there approaches we can use to feel the stress and the anxieties and to harness our creativity and our imagination so we're not just kind of trapped in the fear but we find our way to creativity and to imagination? Well, when you use the art, it's very different. So very, it's completely different. And that if you give a speech, of course, or, you know, I can spend, uh, for example, in the, at the university with, with my students for many years, mm-hmm. I can explain them very well, very, very well, the uh, theories or the pro- social and ecological problems. Mm. Of course, I used to take them to the fields and to explain on the field the problem to involve, but... Uh, uh, before I use this tool of art, uh, it was very, very difficult to that uh, they cross this line from the awareness to the action. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. And when you uh, prove this in your own body, not just the brain. Well, of course, the brain is connected with body. Now we are... Is, uh, we are a unity, no? <laughs> yes. yes. So, it's true. for example, well, I will talk uh, later about um, my methodology, affective uh, resilient ecopedagogy that I has been developed for many years. When you work with dance, for example, that I use, yes, you feel in your body, and of course, this uh, uh, take you to, of course, to make uh, a specific thoughts and analysis mm-hmm. completely different uh, if you just analyze from your yeah. intelligence and rational intelligence. Yeah, it's a different knowledge. When you know it, where it's connected, yes. the body-mind, the, yes. the, the sensations, the emotions, it's a fuller knowing. Do it. Yeah. Yes, do it. Always <laughs> I say to... My people, when I give, a, well, the, when someone invite me to give a, a speech or conference, at the end, yes, because it's very difficult to introduce these uh, dances. So at the, at the end, always I said, mm-hmm. please <laughs> stand up. Yes, we are going to just one dance, just one dance. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's amazing, yes, wow. what they uh, can do it the arts, no? Wow. And getting people to do it. It's so easy to talk about it, but then when you're... Exactly. You're meeting the moment of having to do it, that's where real transformation can happen. 
Mm-hmm. You mentioned briefly earlier, you talked about resilience through dance, music and movement. Mm-hmm. And you just dropped in the very interesting term that you framed, which is effective, resilient echopedagogy. Pedagogy, pedagogy, exactly. Pedagogy. <laughs> and that's my first language. <laughs> effective, resilient echopedagogy. <laughs> I try Many times in Spanish, pedagogy. also in Spanish. Also. Eco-pedagogy. <laughs> ¿Cómo suena en español? Pedagogía. Yes, ecopedagogía. Ecopedagogía, yeah, it's a bit more rhythmic. But in English it's ecopedagogy. <laughs> wow, and I'm a freaking author, I should know these things. Anyway, okay. luckily it's not my term, it's yours. <laughs> yes. <laughs> can you tell us about what it is, yeah, and how and how it can help us? Well, I create, yes, uh, the echo dance. And echo dance is the dance I, I call the dance uh, to defend or to protect life. Yes. So, of course, there are a methodology with this that I has been working for many years. I specifically um, is... Uh, a, Ecopedagogy, yes, resilience, yes, and is affective. So I will explain this. <laughs> is a pedagogical proposal which uh, establishes theoretical and methodological bridge between ecology with art for working on resilience. <laughs> resilience is our healthy capacities to motivate collective participation in eco-social transformation. Yes. Wow. Mm-hmm. Of course, uh, we focus on the individual, but uh, this is always goes to community resilience level. Yes. That we have such, everybody has solidarity, empathy, self-esteem, joy, autonomy, creativity, imagination. And this capacity make us feel that we can transform ourselves and change the world where we live. But for me, and I prove this with many, many groups, yes, the main pillar of these uh, capacities are affect or love, yes, in this resilience process, yes. And I have been applying the in the eco-dance methodology when I work with my students, young or women. In fact, for example, many women that uh, has been suffering uh, violence uh, or domestic or uh, sexual abuse. Uh, when I apply this methodology, is is amazing, yes, the, the answers that uh, these women have uh, in order to uh, go outside of these uh, anxieties or fears or mm. many things no, that they feel. Yeah. Yes. And the results, well, I, I would like to say that uh, this methodology it's, uh, well, I explained, uh, I am writing a book now. I hope that in the following months, it will be in 
I, I can be published. Amazing. So exciting. Of course, I will tell you. Please. <laughs> yes. Uh, so this, uh, this book it will be referred about this methodology because, uh, well, many, many students that I have been applying this methodology always uh, tell me. Of course, I have been publishing some papers, but they ask me, Please uh, give me uh, the methodology, music, dance, and the steps no, that we need to work our resilience yes. as individual level and also community level. No, Because mm. for me, my main, well, I work many years in indigenous regions, regions so of course, I learned a lot about their resilience process. So this resilience process, I apply it in other regions. Amazing. I really want to try it. <laughs> <laughs> and also, uh, well, uh, I don't know if you ask uh, how this approach uh, can help us. Yes, I'd love to hear how it can help us. Well, man many things, but I will say that um, mainly restores and recover mm -hmm. our healthy capacities that are necessary to feel and perceive perceive that we can build a better world mm. a flourishing a flourishing world where beauty dominates mm. not ugly not uh, anxieties not fears of course we are going to feel everything of yeah. this <laughs> it's part is part of our resilience but when we work with our resilience always the uh, healthy capacities mm -hmm. going up yes and this is as a tool of this uh, motivation empowerment and hope for me, more than ecology is the art. Beautiful. It's funny, when I was um, living in London for many, many years, I would go to a class called Five Rhythms, which was established and developed by an American woman called Gabrielle Roth. And her kind of, it was almost like um, a mantra in a way, but it's like the idea of sweating your prayers. And I would go to this dance class usually once or twice a week, and it was two hours or three hours on a Saturday. And it was one of these things where... It was learning how to get out of your own way. So, you know, most of us, many of us, when we dance, we worry about the judgment of others or if we look silly or, you know, whatever it might be. And one of the things I learned through this practice was that you can just let go of that and dance as you would dance when you were a child. So if you're listening to music and you feel really sad, you're going to move in a way that is mm -hmm. sad, that feels coherent with that. And there's something extraordinary about the empowerment and liberation and relief mm -hmm. that I would feel mm -hmm. when, if I didn't have the words to express my anger or my joy mm -hmm. or my restlessness, any of the feelings, that my body could do it for me and the music could be my voice and my body could carry me into these different places in community with others without even speaking. Exactly. And there's some there's such power to, to these forms of dance and community being that that, you know, if you don't try it, you don't know. Exactly. Exactly. Yes. The body express better than the brain. Uh, well, the, 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 the rational intelligence better because the body, you know, when you want to say that you are sad or you are happy or, or any any feel that you, you... Any of the feelings. 
yes, the body is um, precisely, yes. Yeah. And well, uh, now there are many, many studies from it comes from neurologist fields, also from psychologists, sociology, psychology, and also from other fields that proves that the dance is, well, of course, the dance with music is the best way, mm. yes, in order to, to work the resilience or the healthy capacities that I mentioned before. Yeah. And so many people are so uncomfortable about dancing. There's so much shame that's wrapped up in that. Mm -hmm. So thinking about resilience, and you mentioned earlier at the very beginning of our conversation, how some of the youth, some of the young people you you work with tip into kind of this helplessness. Mm -hmm. What's your perspective on how we can meet and engage with the challenges we face without collapsing into a sense of hopelessness and overwhelm. Of course, the people probably does, doesn't want to, to dance or probably, well, it's almost impossible that the people doesn't like music, but okay, I will assume that some somebody doesn't like music. But the art, when I talk about art, it's poetry, literature, mm. cinema, mm-hmm. culture, and theater. Yeah. So we have uh, different fields from the arts. I I would like to invite you. I would like to invite uh, all people that are listening this <laughs> well extraordinary uh, interview that you are making with your really very very important questions that I because you are you are um, well you you are giving me, to me elements no to analyze also yes and to think a lot thank you and i believe that uh because i prove the, with many people that it, the art is what come closer to life yes cinema opens new realities for example literature recreates them these realities Painting, pro, we can re- alter re- the reality with music. We learn to listen. It's very important to listen. Mm. And with dance, we live realities. So we feel that we can transform them. That's, you speak very poetically. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I like so much. Like, I like to write these down and sort of have them on my wall. <laughs> Please send it to me because it's so easy to get lost in the... Yes, of course, of course, of course, I will send you. Thank you. Yes, and you can use it. I would love that. Thank you. Mm -hmm. And so thinking about these different forms of reality and these different forms of interrelating, Mm -hmm. how do you experience your relationship with the living earth at this moment in time, with all of the work that you've done in indigenous agroforestry, with communities, with the arts. You're talking about arts and life being intertwined. Mm-hmm. Through the care and relationship with my domestic first animals, oh. dogs. I love dogs. And cats, of course. And cats. <laughs> yes. Oh, I love, I love, I love it. I love them. Yes. <laughs> Through my participation in local and regional movement in defense of life, <laughs> Uh, through the planting, so, sometimes I invest time 
Uh, well, this year this year was very difficult, but the last year and the other years was possible to plant and harvesting some foods in Ecofe mm. uh, through eco dance and cultural activities in Nido, and to be in touch, of course, with people who defend, protect, and care life and the rights that correspond to human, indigenous women and nature. That's very interesting, the connection there. Mm-hmm. I um, was listening to someone talk, well, someone who I'm going to have on the show uh, in the coming weeks, V, formerly known as Eve Ensler, who I came to know through her extraordinary work called The Vagina Monologues, which came out, I think, maybe 20 years ago. <laughs> and... Um, And one thing she was talking about was how this connection between her body and the body of the earth, how it took her experiencing a very grave illness to realise that she was so disconnected from her relationship with the earth. And so hearing you talk about, and she talks about it within the context of more patriarchal, hierarchical, extractive systems, and that one of the paths to healing is through the ways in which we understand our relationship to women, how we protect the vulnerable, the children, mm-hmm. you know, the nature that we depend on to flourish and to live and to survive. But so I'd like to kind of come towards the close and with all of the work that you're doing, and especially I'm thinking now with so many young people that you work with that you mentioned earlier who look to you for guidance and encouragement and optimism. When you're dealing with really difficult things and trauma and and people who've really lived a lot of pain and suffering. How do you orient yourself towards life and beauty, which you so beautifully put earlier, when it gets really difficult? Well, this is a very important question. Well, I try to work uh, daily uh, on my resilience uh, through different ways, no? Uh, Not just dance and music, also, swimming is very important to make exercise. Yes, it's very, very important to make some type of exercise. More when you are older, yes, your body asks you and, and tells you, please, I am here, you have to move more, yes? Yeah. <laughs> I get asked that all the time and sometimes I ignore it a bit. You are so young. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> okay. Mm. Well, I'll take that compliment. Thank you. <laughs> Sorry. Carry on. Yes. Also, my resilience. I work with uh, my uh, like taking care of my animals, of course. Uh, reading, <laughs> going to the cinema. I love cinema conversation with friends, mm. uh, my garden, and the activities that we continue to develop, develop in Ecofe and Nido. When we connect with others uh, in solidarity and love, of course, this type of relation that is not uh, superfluous, no? yes. more deep, Abandoning, mm-hmm. of course, that uh, that uh, type of relation helped you to abandon, at least for a moment, our egocentrism. Because all of us has mm-hmm. uh, ego. We are egocentrists, yes. So we have to work about this yeah. in order to uh, develop empathy, yes. The neurologist says that uh, the well, when we when we born, of course, there are an empathy in the brain 
is a region, a region in mm. our brain that uh, has other capacities. We, we have these capacities of in empathy. But the culture, mm. yes, or the family and the mm. different things that we, we are going to live um, through our life is going to develop, yes, or to avoid. Or to inhibit. Exactly, yeah. or to prohibit yeah. it, yes. <laughs> but, uh, for example, if during the, your child, uh, when you were a child or teenager, you have a difficult, very difficult child um, life, or with that in a teenager, you become adult person with many problems because of this life. But mm. if you find at least one person, it's it's very it's amazing eh? our capacity <laughs> to to with to work if we work the resilience with of course with the help of uh, some person. Sometimes we need of course therapy. Yes, of course, it's very important. <laughs> but um, if we develop these capacities, we could, of course, the past, this this history in our life uh, will remain, but we are going to change the our perspective how was our mm-hmm. history. So I think that uh, for me... It's uh, when I when my perspective is negative or or I feel really uh, with a lot of fear. Really, I work more with resilience, Mm -hmm. and of course, my echo dance is very useful, no, as a tool. But you can't Mm. do many things. It's fascinating. I would love to take you up on your Uh offer to come and visit you (laughs) and experience the echo dance. Of course, of course. I will like I will love it. Yes. In, in fact in Bristol, in Bristol where we um, met. Yeah. Yes, and the Planet Local Summit. I tried to uh, put one dance. Oh, you did a workshop? I no, no. I tried it. I tried it. I asked I asked to the people who were coordinated this um this uh, meeting. But this was not possible. There were a lot of activities, a lot. Yes. Beautiful, wonderful. <laughs> yes, I love it. But, I, well, probably the next time. <laughs> next time. Definitely the next time. We'll stay for a few days yes. before and after and have some of these workshops together. Yes. Yes. So um, before we go to the deep questions round, um, if people want to find out more about your fascinating work, where are the best places to find you? Well, as uh, you notice, <laughs> that I am not good with the technology tool. Really, <laughs> I, well, my first route is with my email. Yes, because by email, I try to give the answers immediately. It's more personal. Yeah. No, and of course we can make um, you know meetings by Zoom if it's po- if it's uh, necessary. And my uh, email is uh, Patrick Mogel fifty six arroba gmail Yes. 
Lovely. Yes. So this is, I have another, uh, an internet page, Echo Dance, but uh, it's, uh, you know, <laughs> I use more email. <laughs> my son, my two sons always say, why don't you use your page? You have a page, yeah. so you can use it, videos, put your uh, papers, put your email your on there. Events, <laughs> anything, but okay probably in the future or I don't know, but yeah. <laughs> I'm a disaster with the technology. <laughs> You're doing more important things. That's all I can say. <laughs> and anyone, anybody who wants to come here in Mexico, of course, you are welcome always. Thank you. Well, Patricia, it's been such a pleasure being in conversation Thank with you. you. Thank you. Thank you very much. You too. Thank you for listening to Natalie Nahai and Conversation. If you've enjoyed the podcast, please do leave us a rating and a review. It means a lot to me to read your support, especially as this is a self-funded project into which we pour our love and time and attention. To find out more about my work and how to get involved in my projects, you can head over to natalienahai.com, explore additional books and resources at natalienahai.com forward slash resources, and check out the gatherings I run at ffsalons.com. If you'd like to get in touch, you can find me on Instagram and LinkedIn at Natalie Nahai. My thanks to Caro C for producing. Thank you for listening. And I look forward to sharing more with you in the next episode. <laughs>